Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 today. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to start this morning. And um, we'll be in a lot of different passages of Scripture today. But, but this is where we're camping out as we close out our series on uh, de- being designed by God. And, and I, as you're kind of listening this morning, I, I really, Omar and I were talking about um, having Psalm 8 read this morning and having Doc and Jen read that today. And what a, what a blessing it is. I, I don't know what the language of heaven's going to be like. I've I believe that it's going to be as creative as our Lord is, but I also believe there's going to be clarity and understanding that I don't have right now that the Lord will give us later on. But, but when we're talking about the power of sin today, how important is it for us to start with, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? Right? You, how are you mindful of us when you are as excellent as you are? You see, because when we talk about the power of sin, the only way that we can frame sin and power in the same sentence is to make it absent from the Lord. Because sin in the presence of God is, 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 is about as strong as, as butter and a hot knife. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it just melts before the Lord. But on our end, sin is, is powerful. Sin is, is, is a binding agent. If David would have taken that string and wrapped it around hands of two or three or four kids together and they would have all pulled, there would have been no way for them to have freedom from it. There would have been no way to do that. Yet, if, if I pull out a pair of scissors and snip in a moment without any effort, they're free. And, and that's how we have to frame this idea and this picture of sin, is looking at the truth that it is extremely powerful and inescapable outside of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but underneath that majestic Lord, it is not powerful at all. And so we'll work both of those two realities in as we read the story of Cain and Abel this week. And to kind of look back, We really see that we've been walking through Genesis 1 and we realize that God has made us in his image and that in his image he's given us a calling and a purpose and a reflection of him that nothing else in creation does. And then in Genesis 2 we saw that not only are we created in his image but individually God has made us purposeful. He's given us our identity as as a man and as a woman and a calling to pursue. He's given us a purpose, specifically. In Genesis 3, though, we saw this distortion of sin come in. And we saw how how sin, the temptation being welcomed in by Adam and Eve, had this consequence. We would just call it a change agent. And that change would allow nothing ever to be the same this side of Christ's coming and his full redemption. But, but in that, we find ourselves in chapter 4 as really the first story, the first look at what a changed life really was. You see, we, we read the curses and we saw the shame in chapter 3. But in chapter 4, we see an all too familiar story of the power of sin and how it works in our life. So, so if you weren't with us, we ended last week with the Lord saying to, to the woman, listen, there's going to be enmity between you and the serpent and his descendant and your descendant. He will bruise his heel and he will crush his head. In other words, there's hope in the midst of all this that there will be one coming from you that destroys this enemy. Chapter 4, verse 1. Read along with me through verse 7. 
in your Bible. It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. But Abel also brought uh, of the firstborn of his flock, of their fat portions of the Lord. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to rule over you. This begins our, our story, our picture looking at the power of sin. And what's funny to me is the very first verse that, that Eve gives birth to a son. Adam and Eve knew each other, and they give birth to a son, Cain. And what, what does she say? Man, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. There's an expectation almost, isn't there? There's a false expectation that looks for help that looks for an exit door, a strategy in the nearest door. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Eve just saying, man, we messed up big time. We ate the fruit. We disobeyed the Lord. I get it how it worked. But the Lord said, one of my descendants will crush him. And I assume and life's going to be better after that. Oh, I have a boy. This is it. Right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever just, man, just been thinking, Lord, give me a sign. And then you start looking to make everything a sign. Have you ever been there? Lord, if I am supposed to quit this job, let me know. Oh, someone dropped a paper clip. I'm out. That was the Lord. Amen. You know, Lord, I need, <laughs> just no kidding, real story. I, I need, I need to be rescued from my debt. This is the year 1999. Noah, Noah, a friend who went out and said, Y2K is going to wipe it all out. It's a sign from God. I'm going to go spend more money. Note to self. He had a bad year 2000. Right? Just, that's going to be a sign. That's just going to be a, a sign that, that God just, you're just going to give me the nearest door out is going to rescue me from my sin. Pick a door, any door, all the doors are from God. Now you may say, man, pastor, I would never put it that way. But isn't it easy to think? And Lord, I got myself into this. You know, I feel bad. And since you know that, you, you've provided an easy out for me. I, I'm now making an earthly thing, a heavenly directive. And, oh, Eve would be so severely disappointed that the, the child that she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, would be the one that would allow her to know the pain of death before her life expired. You see, Sin makes us want to look for that easy way out. Why? Because it causes our heart to detour. You see, sin causes a, a detour of the heart. It, it, it pushes us away from truth and starts to seek the best truth that we can find in the moment. Sin, sin tries to angle us, to aim us at, at where we think uh, relief should be. 
If you look at Cain's story, he models this from his mom in a very different way. The Bible says that he took his offering to the Lord, and Abel took his offering to the Lord, and the Lord had regard for Abel's, but for Cain's, he didn't have anything to do with it. And, and we, we could sit here and talk about why the Lord had no regard. Did it have to do because Cain's was fruit, and Abel's was, was flesh and animal? Did it have to do with all of these things? But we don't have to dig, we don't have to seek that out to know why the Lord had no regard for for Cain's offering. He says, don't you know if, if you do well that things will be right with us? See, Cain's heart had detoured from the Lord. It says that his, his face fell and was angry. When the Lord didn't take Cain's offerings on Cain's turn, on his terms, he got upset. He got angry. And it caused him to look away from the Lord. Isaiah tells us about this. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says this. The Lord says, Because people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are from, far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, what God says, not just to Cain, he says it through Isaiah, Jesus will repeat it, is this. Is that if your life looks... Like you're going through the right motions. There's no welcoming before that with God if your heart is not leading your life. You see, your actions don't lead. Just fake it till you make it. it. A, it's a horrible marriage strategy, right? If you're considering getting married and you're not sure and you say, you know, I think this is going to be a hard marriage. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Don't do it. Marriage is tough. Amen. Marriage is tough, amen? All the married people, right? I mean, some of you are getting pinched by your spouse. I get it. But, but this fake it till you make it, we know doesn't work. If you need a, a, an electrical engineer and you hire me because I'm sharp and I had a good interview and I can fake it till I make it, guess when I'm going to be exposed? Probably day two because half the day one is me getting to know everybody, Right? I'm going to be exposed very quickly. The Lord says, listen, when you are bringing your life before me, when you want to be in relationship with me, you cannot fake it with your actions and your lips. Because your heart is what I see. And you can't follow a religious rule set up by any man, by your mama, by your daddy, by your friend, by the pastor, and make our relationship okay. And if that has been your approach, or if sin has detoured your heart, here's what I want you to know. That, that your anger, your anger is based on your misdirection, not God's redirection. Have you been there? Have you ever thought, I'm going to do the right thing, I don't want to do it, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to push through, and I want to prove that I'm going to do it. But God, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do all the right things, and let me tell you what's going to happen, God. People aren't going to accept me. This isn't going to affect my friends. My children are still going to rebel. I'm going to do the right thing, God. I'll show you, but, but my marriage is still going to struggle. My job is still going to struggle. And then have you ever done it? And guess what? You were right. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. And then when you're right, have you ever unintentionally prayed in your heart, I told you. I told you, I'm the one that's trying. I'm the one that's working. And I knew this would happen. 
Why would I follow you anymore? Why would I listen to you? Why should I not be upset with you, Lord? Because I tried it your way and it didn't work. And the Lord says, your heart is far from me. Your heart's what I wanted. Your, your heart's what leads me. Psalm 37, it says, refrain from anger, anger and forsake wrath. In other words, when you and I realize our heart has detoured, let it clothe you in humility. Let it clothe you with opportunities to repent. Let it clothe you with an inquisition. Lord, can you show me? Because anger and sin detours our heart from the Lord, and it turns the Lord pursuing us into an attack. See, that's what sin does. It interprets truth as an attack. Look at what the Lord says to Cain. He says, verse 6, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And his desire is to have you. Can you imagine being saying that Cain in that moment? We know Cain goes on to kill his brother. He's not a happy camper with God. He doesn't love God. He doesn't like what God is doing. He is angry with God. And then God steps out of his way. The Lord pursues Cain. This is not abnormal. The Lord pursued David when he sinned with Bathsheba. The Lord pursued Peter. The Lord pursued you. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. You are not forgotten. He's not just waiting for you to figure it out and come to him. He is pursuing. And his pursuant is, is with truth. His pursuant says, listen, don't you know, you have no right to be angry. If you do well, in other words, if you seek me, if you let your heart pursue me, don't you know that you will be accepted? Don't you know that if your relationship wants to be right with me, that I'm the one pursuing you, it will be well. But if you do not, you will get what your heart desires. Can you imagine Cain's irritation at that? Has it ever happened to you? We pick on kids all the time. But, but have you ever told your, your kid, hey, listen, I, we're going to do this, you can do this, you can go to your friend's house as long as you just clean up your room first, then you can go to your friend's house. And then they come down, the room isn't clean, you don't let them go, and they get what? They're, I totally understand, Dad. Now, it makes sense. You were, you were up front on the front end, I don't need to go to my friend's house. If that happens at your house, I need you to come teach me parenting classes. Right? They're, what do you mean? I was busy. I was doing homework. I had to beat your high score on the video game. You know, whatever it was. But, but all of a sudden, it's your truth isn't, isn't here to console me. It's an attack on me. You're just rubbing it in. Have you ever felt like God is, is just rubbing it in? That you don't see God pursuing you as a compromise. You see him as this God just continuing to beat you down. To tell you how worthless you are. How much of a nothing you are. How, how far you've fallen. How much you've let your family down. How you are insignificant, incompatible, inconsolable. That's sin. Because the Lord's just saying, hey, don't you know. When we are in a right relationship, that you're completely accepted by me. Don't you know that? 
God's not coming at you to beat you down, to tell you all the things. God knows your sin, and he pursued you anyway, not so you could remain in your sin, but so that you could know the truth. Here's what you and I need to understand, and sin, it distorts it to make an attack, is the Lord will not compromise truth in his pursuit of you, but in his pursuit of you, he will proceed with truth. But he will not compromise his truth to, to, to pursue you, because that would mean the Lord would basically have to reject himself in order to accept you. In other words, he would, he would have to make his sin match your sin. And two right, right, wrongs don't make a right. And so, so we have this idea that Cain now is, is seeing God is attacking him because sin distorts truth. And he starts to lose control. I can feel the anger well up in him as we're going to see in verse 8. And the Lord sees it too and he says, listen, but if you don't do well, if you don't do, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't listen to my call, if you don't drop what's in your hands and pursue me, then sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. See, church, sin exists to control. Sin exists to control. That's, that, that's true. You, you know that in those habits that you've been trying to break. You, you're wrestling with control. You, you may exchange one habit for a lesser bad habit. We had a great friend that, that was trying to stop smoking and so every day, they didn't smoke. They went and got a, a, it was the best plan ever. They went and got a chocolate-dipped ice cream cone from Dairy Queen. It was like incredible. But a year and a half later, there was another problem. Right? It, it, it's, it's this reality that you and I must find ourselves recognizing that sin exists to control. In verse in chapter 3, the Bible says that to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. In other words, you will struggle to control what God has given to him, and he will struggle with how to control that as his desire is to lord things over you. The Bible says here, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire it is to have you, and it's contrary to you. You see, sin wants to rule your life. It wants to rule every argument you have. It wants to rule every high that you have. It wants to dictate every victory. And it wants to amplify every defeat. Peter says it this way, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, when you and I find ourselves following this rule of sin... That we in our, of ourselves have no ability to break. Rejecting the Lord. Rejecting his truth. Then we are easy prey for an enemy who wants to create destruction. Destruction in your eternity. Destruction in your family. Destruction in your heart. And he's crouching. It's this idea he's ready to pounce. Have you ever noticed that things can break down in your life? in a moment it just seems like at just the right time one thing makes it all fall down sin is crouching at your door and it desires to control you so what do we do how how in the world can we then live we know our sin i don't have to preach it i don't need to give you examples you can come up with enough in your own mind 
But John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, gives us an understanding on what breaks this power of sin. In John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's in the beginning. We're reading it right now. And he, excuse me, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him, he was not, excuse me, without him was not anything made that was made in him was life, and the, li- and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, here it is. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the word overcome here is, is overpower. In other words, the Bible says that, that God, in the midst of this dark, sin-filled world that we have embraced, He who is in the beginning, the Bible will show us that this is Jesus, as we keep reading chapter 1 of, of John, that as He came into the world, that sin tried to overpower Him too. How do we know that this is true? We can look back to Genesis chapter 3, because in Genesis chapter 3, it says, your descendant will bite his heel. You will bruise him. You will try to wound him. You will try to kill him, but you will not have victory, and he will crush you. And the light was in the world, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's one way to break the power of sin. There's one way to know life restored, not just for today, but for eternity, and that is through the light that is Jesus Christ. If you do well, don't you know will be accepted? Do you know that doing well is not something that is man-made, but is God-given? We know that. We know that in basic truth. That's why we send our kids to school. We want them to learn something that is not in themselves, that someone has to give it to them. We know it on this basic foundational level. What Scripture shows us is what the life we live is a microcosm of the great plan, that it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds, where it obviously shows us that if sin is the power that cannot be broken, if sin is the control, the master that we cannot defeat on our own, Scripture shows us that there must be one to whom sin has no control, who is able to break that power. Jesus Christ doesn't just break it, it attacks him, and it falls miserably, and he continues on. The battle that Christ wages with sin is not a war where he is threatened, but it is a hope and a life where he fuels it. And that light leads us into a right relationship, and sin wants to deflect that too. Look in your Bible at verse 8 through 12. It says, And Cain spoke to his brother, to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know him. I'm my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out for me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Sin, not only does it want to control, not only does it see truth as an attack, not only does it deflect your heart, but check this out. It deflects responsibility in order to protect yourself. It's someone else's fault. There's a reason that I don't have as good of a relationship with my parent. It's because my brother or sister is their favorite. They're always mooching, or mooching off that relationship. 
This is confession time. My sister, we've apologized over and over for it. Growing up, a household of four, if my sister screamed, help, help, you know what that meant? You're grounded. Did you know that? Even if you didn't do anything. So guess what started happening? Well, we're going to get in trouble anyway. Might as well be worthwhile. Because it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. You see, sin doesn't allow us to, to let the truth, or it doesn't want us to let the truth, the light of the Lord, invade our hearts. It wants to protect us. No, you've been working hard. You've put yourself to the grind. You've been caring about this relationship. You have been the one that has been killing yourself. You have been the one who's been overcoming bad thoughts. It's not you. It's, it's this film in front of you. It's this distortion out there. And that's why sin leads to anger. Because instead of saying, Lord, search me, it says, I'll take care of the problem. And that'll fix everything. Because if Abel's not around, if Abel's not a kiss up, if Abel wasn't mom and dad's favorite, then I would be right again. Lord's words are lost completely. If you do well, will it not be right for, with you? Because sin reflects or deflects responsibility. It says, I've done all I can do. I'll show you guys it's not my fault. And so Cain goes out and he murders his brother. It's because sin has no taste for humility. It has taste for guilt, for pain, disgust, but not for humility. Because humility is what King David writes in Psalm chapter 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. David says, Lord, I'm in a struggle right now. And if there is something in me, if sin is reigning in my life, if sin has got a foothold in an area of my life, would you expose it to me? Because I can't see it. I am blinded by its darkness. It's humility. Would you search me and know me? And if you see something... Would your truth, would you pull it out? Would you remove it from me? You see, that, that repentance is relationship. That humility, it's right relationship. That, that submission is not about all of the, the static out here, but it's about the static in here. God, is there, is there some dust in my machine that is keeping you and I from walking rightly together. Walking rightly with the Lord does not mean your life will be simple, perfect, or pretty. It just means that it will be right and full regardless of the noise around you. And so our humility can't be deflected. We have to say, Lord, begin with me and lead me to you. Church, this morning as we look at sin and its power and its problems I want to let you know you don't sit in this room by yourself there's not a single person in the face of the world there's not a single person alive today that is not found 
he or she under this power and this influence of sin. What you're dealing with, the struggles you have, the anger in your heart, the disappointments, the disarray, the deflections, whatever it is, you're, you're not alone. Because there's only been one seed, there's only been one promise, there's only one been known whose light shone in the world and the darkness couldn't overcome him. And that light is the light of men, it's the light of the world, it is the light that invades the heart, that exposes everything. It's the light that's made evident in the word and the light that leads us beyond the cross, it's Jesus. And in him the power of sin does not exist, but for you and I Sin, even right now, wants to do this. Sin wants to mute the pain that it's causing through you and accentuate the pain that other sins are causing to you. Because, because if all else fails, if sin can keep you from thinking of yourself and how you are separate from the Lord, that's better than nothing. If it can just keep you thinking about the sin that others have harmed to you, people claiming to be Christian and their sin, how it has harmed you, people claiming to, to love the Lord and their sin, how it has harmed you, or what you heard them say or what you heard them do, sin wants your attention out there. And with Cain, it's the same way. God says, here's the problem. Because of this, you will be a fugitive. You can't work the ground. Look what Cain says in verse 13. My punishment is greater than I can bear. What you just told me is I have to move out of my house and that my work is going to get harder. I killed my brother. Your punishment is way more than I can bear. Do you see what sin does? It mutes my distance from God. And it exalts the distance that other people have created between me and God through their actions. Praise be to the Lord that through Christ Jesus, we do not have to live under this power. We live surrounded by it. We live influenced by it, but we do not have to live under its control. Why? Because Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners in sin, Christ, the light, died for us. And, and because he died for us, if you have known him, the Bible says this in John chapter 8. So if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. That means for good. It doesn't mean you're, you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're flawless. It just means that power is broken for good. If the Lord sets you free, you're free. And in that freedom, there's humility and there's hope and there's availability. But if you and I downplay sin, then we will downplay freedom. If you and I downplay the power and the, the pain of sin, then we will downplay the importance of a right relationship with Christ. Sin for us is an unbreakable string. But to our Lord, it's a powerless piece of cotton. Where's your heart today? Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, I, I know we sit in a time where sin seems so rampant and so available all around me that I can give excuses for when I stumble and I can completely 
look beyond the sin that I've struggled with or I'd still struggle with, God. Father, today, would you help us understand that the sin, the consequence of the fall plays out still in our life today. Lord, that it, it exists to control me. It exists to detour me. It, it exists, Lord, to, to redirect my responsibility. It exists, God, to mute my struggle. But Lord, in Jesus Christ, we've been set free. And so God, I ask today that you would allow us not to be overwhelmed with the power of sin, but to be consumed with the pursuit of truth that you have pursued us with. Father God, if there's a believer, brother, sister in Christ this morning that is struggling with sin, God, would you allow them to be washed in your word that if they have been set free, Lord, you have set them free. Lord, let them expose their heart to you, Lord. Let them draw near to you and not turn their face away from you. And Lord Jesus, if there is someone in this room who does not know freedom and they have been trying to figure it out like solving a puzzle, God, but today they realize this is a puzzle that cannot be solved by man. Well, this morning, would you lead their heart to submit itself humbly to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who, while we were still sinners, died for us in his son. And, and through the life of Jesus Christ, made possible a light to consume us, to free us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.